I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The FT Relief at last for annuity buyers as gilt yields inch higher. Are emerging markets worth the extra risk? And how to minimise the impact of inheritance tax? I'm Jonathan Ely and I'll be giving you all the money news this week in downloadable form with the help of my FT colleague Lucy Warwick-Ching. Hello. And two special studio guests, Tom McPhail of Hargreaves Lansdowne. Hello. And Jane Sydenham of Rathbones. Hello. Earlier this month, Mark Carney took over as Governor of the Bank of England amid a blaze of publicity. To read some of the more excitable commentary, you'd think this glamorous Canadian imports could turn water into wine. His first monetary policy meeting as Governor yielded no change to existing policy, and this week we got the detail behind that meeting with the release of the minutes. Central bank watchers have been poring over the detail for clues as to the future direction of monetary policy. A notable point is that all nine members of the MPC voted against more quantitative easing, whereas in previous meetings, several members of the committee had voted in favour of more stimulus. Depending on how you view this, Mr Carney is either not quite as trigger-happy with the printing press as we all thought, or he has some other cunning plan up his sleeve for the future. These subtle things matter because they set the tone for the market in UK government bonds or gilts, and the yields available from gilts have a bearing on just about everything from mortgages to share prices. I'm joined now by Tom McPhail, who is Head of Pensions Research at Hargreaves Lansdowne. Tom, the yield on 10-year gilts has inched up a bit lately, but how does gilt yields look on a, on a longer-term perspective? Well, by historical standards, we are at an all-time low. And, and whether you're looking at the 10-year yield or you're looking at the longer-dated gilt yields, what we've seen is is a, a low point uh, over the last few months, particularly sort of early May, I think. Um, and, and since then, we've seen a slight recovery in gilt yields. And indeed, that has fed through to some slight improvements in annuity rates. So in the last month or so, we've seen a clutch of insurance companies just gently nudging their annuity rates up a smidgen. But if you look over a 10-year scale, those those gains in the last month are, are pretty marginal, and we are still effectively at the bottom of what has been a long, steady decline in, in gilt yields and annuity rates. Okay, now you mentioned the, the, um, the annuity market there, and low gilt yields have caused lots of problems for people approaching retirement. Can you just explain again the, the connection between gilt yields and pensions in particular? 
So what happens is you've built up a pension pot, you need to convert it into a retirement income. So you take that pension pot to an insurance company, you hand it over to them, and in exchange they give you a guaranteed income for life. That's the annuity. They then take your cash and buy gilts with it because these provide the insurance company with the reliable, safe income stream that they can then use to pay you your income. Now, if they can only get a very low yield on the gilts, they can only afford to pay you a very low income on your annuity. And that's where we're at right now. Okay, so all other things being equal, a pickup in gilt yields should be good for those approaching retirement. Is that right? Are we seeing annuity rates rise now? Um, Yes, to some degree. A couple of problems with that. One is that there is inevitably a lag with that. You know, they, they're not falling over themselves to push the annuity rates up as, as soon as they possibly can because they're quite conservative. You've got other factors in play as well, improving life expectancy, the cost of writing business, increasing use of underwriting. You know, Perversely, the poorer your health, the better the rate of income you can get. Now, if everybody gets their annuity underwritten and gets a, 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 an enhanced annuity because they're in poor health, you lose the cross-subsidies. So you've got these technical factors within the annuity market that are holding the rates down. Even if we get a recovery in gilt yields, it's not therefore a dead cert that we're going to see a huge bounce in annuity rates. Okay, and with all that in mind, what's your advice to anyone coming up to that momentous point in their lives when they convert a a pot of savings into an income for retirement? Should they buy an annuity now or should they hold off? Right. Rate. So you've got a few options here. If you're absolutely risk averse, take your pension pot, buy an index linked annuity, and that's it. All risk is off the table, but it's very expensive. If you're a gambler, don't buy an annuity. Keep your money invested in the market. You're going to have to go into the stock market to get a better return than you would on cash. Because if you stay in cash, you're going to be losing money in real terms. But accept in the process that you might have to wait several years for the annuity rates to recover. If you want to hedge your bets, do a bit of both. Buy some annuity with some of your pension pot now. Keep some money invested in the market. At least that way you won't get the decision completely wrong. I have to stress there is no easy answer today. Okay, thank you very much, Tom. And we have lots of important pensions news in this weekend's FT Money. The rise in annuity rates that we've just discussed. Uh, There was a report out about questioning the future of tax relief on pensions. And there's more about how employers are adjusting commutation rates in final salary schemes to reduce their liabilities. If you're wondering what on earth a commutation rate is, well, pick up a copy of FT Weekend on Saturday or Sunday and all will become clear. You can also read via the FT's tablet apps, on Kindles and online at www.ft.com forward slash money. If you want to leave comments, you can do so online or email us. The address is money at ft.com. Still to come on the show, it only raises three billion or so a year, but it's one of the UK's most resented taxes. We look at ways to reduce your inheritance tax liability. First, though, let's take a tour through some more exotic parts of the world. In May this year, the world's most powerful central banker, Ben Bernanke, said that the US Federal Reserve might start easing back on its purchases of government and mortgage bonds. Stock markets, which had been on a roll since last November, took fright and sold heavily. Nowhere was the selling more acute than in emerging markets, places like Brazil, China, India and Southeast Asia. Not only did their stock markets fall heavily, their currencies and bonds sold off too. The MSCI Emerging Markets Index, which tracks the prices of about 2,000 companies in these countries, is now down around 10% so far this year. By contrast, the UK's FTSE All Share Index is up almost 13%. The odd thing is, emerging markets are supposed to do better than that. 
They have young populations, fast-growing middle classes, sound public finances, and their economies are generally growing much faster than ours. So why have their stock markets been underperforming those of the West for the past two years? Are they worth the bother? And is now a good time to be buying? I'm joined by Jane Sydenham, who advises clients on asset allocation and investment strategy at wealth management group Rathbones. Jane, welcome to the show. First of all, why have emerging markets lost their way so badly in recent times? Well, Jonathan, you made the, the good point that the Federal Reserve um, talked about a change to monetary policy at the end of May, and that certainly seems to have been a trigger for underperformance. But in reality, uh, changes taking place in China, a, a move in their economy uh, away from infrastructure towards a more consumer economy to try and balance up um, the direction of capital means that there'll be less money going into commodities and infrastructure. Um, and one of the things that helped a lot of emerging markets was commodity prices in the last few years. So, so that's certainly been, been one factor. And yes, as you rightly say, the withdrawal of liquidity because investors are beginning to think about rising interest rates has certainly been the other major trigger. Okay, and what's about the longer term? If you look at um, beyond the past six months, if you look at 10 years or 20 years, have emerging markets shown out consistent outperformance over longer time frames? Not consistent outperformance, no, certainly not. There are periods when they perform fantastically well. But they are narrower markets in the sense that there are often fewer companies that are less liquid. They tend to be much more volatile. So there are periods when, when it's great and periods when life gets pretty tough. Okay. You mentioned uh, the risks there, volatility. Um, events in Brazil and Egypt and Turkey have reminded us that there's political risk as well. Um, it all sounds like quite a lot of bother for investors given that there's no guarantee of, of consistent gains at the end of it. With all that in mind, do you recommend emerging markets exposure to your clients? And, and if so, why and how much? Uh, yes, we do recommend some exposure, uh, not uh, a substantial amount. And, and we have reduced that recently for, for all the reasons that, that you mentioned. But as you also mentioned, you know, there are young populations uh, who are starting to move up towards the middle class in terms of their consumption habits as as reforms are undertaken in some of these economies. Um, if you look at some of the ASEAN markets, for example, you know there's there's talk of a free trade area beginning to to grow or to come together there. Um, in infrastructure improvements, you know there there are definitely signs of of substantial economic growth, which do feed through to uh, the stock market. But the question is actually how one accesses uh, these themes. And, and to a large extent, um, it's actually been very successful to invest in Western companies with divisions in emerging markets, actually. It hasn't always been necessary to get direct exposure to the underlying markets. And very often that's a safer route to take because the legal structures are more reliable, there's greater liquidity, um, we can get access to information about what's going on. So, you know, that's often the, the best way to get exposure. Um and, and it's equally true, I think, at the moment that uh, that index tracking funds in these markets are considerably less attractive. What what we really want to do is have exposure to active managers who are making uh, bets at this point in time, as opposed to, to really just tracking the whole market. There are areas that are much more resilient, uh, and that's where we want to be exposed. Okay, so you like active fund management, and by the sounds of it, uh, you, you like things like Unilever, Diageo, SAB, Miller, or those sort of big multinational companies with, with high levels of uh, emerging markets exposure. When is the right time to buy? With all of these sort of risks that you mentioned, it, it sounds like 
investors should really be demanding a, a discount uh, in order to, to compensate them for those for those risks. I think that is absolutely right. Um, and and at the moment, uh, certainly that discount is 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 getting bigger. Um, if you look at the trading range over the last three years, we're sort of two thirds towards the bottom of that trading range. Valuations are incredibly important for these markets, um, and it's worth bearing in mind that d- the disparity between markets like the United States and emerging markets in terms of their 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 ratings has has widened significantly. The U.S. is rising, emerging markets are falling. When we get to an extreme of those. Uh, in, in terms of that relationship, that's often the best point at which to start thinking about buying. So we have to be very careful about the price we pay. So emerging markets are worth keeping an eye on. Thank you very much, Jane Sydenham, who is Investment Director at Rathbones. On to our final item for today. In 2007, Gordon Brown contemplated calling a snap election. The Conservatives, then in opposition, cooked up a pledge to raise the inheritance tax threshold to a million pounds and all talk of an election promptly ceased. That shows just how emotive the subject of inheritance tax is, even though only a tiny percentage of estates actually pay any, and the tax itself only raises around £3 billion a year. Inheritance tax is payable on estates above an ill-rate band of £325,000, which is frozen until 2018. Notice that it hasn't actually gone up to a million pounds. Transfers between spouses are free of tax and the allowance transfers too. So, for instance, if a husband dies and leaves everything to his wife, her nil rate band rises to £650,000. For most people, that's where the problems start. Lucy Warwick-Ching has been looking at ways to offset the impact of inheritance tax and has found that there are no easy solutions. Lucy, everyone seems to bitterly resent this tax, but how do you actually avoid paying it without breaking the law? What steps can can ordinary folk take? Well, that's the key point, that it's uh, you need to legally minimise IHT. The government has been really clamping down on exactly how you can do that, and they've been tightening a lot of the laws because lots of advisors were launching products that help people avoid paying IHT. And but But there are some very good legitimate ways that you can do things. So some of the key ways are things like definitely make a will. It might sound very simple, but if you don't make a will, then you're not going to have any say over exactly what happens to your assets. And if you do make a will, then you can package things up very carefully and you can just minimise the amount of IHT that, that you will pay. And so there's there's things like, um, I mean, you mentioned transferring assets between husband and wife, but then if you also want to transfer assets to other people, you can do this. And actually, you can do it with any amount as long as you survive seven years. But the key thing here is that you can't retain any interest in that asset. So if, say, you had um, a second property and you wanted to pass that on to a child, you would have to put that into the name of the child and you cannot then carry on living there. You can't really use it. If you did want to use it yourself you'd probably have to pay a market rent so you have to be very careful about that and, and also keep all the documentation because HMRC will actually ask you for that. So transferring assets while you're still alive it sounds like the younger you start the, the better chance you have of avoiding tax because you will you are more likely to survive seven years. What about um, charitable charitable giving there are some tax advantages to doing that as well aren't there? Yeah so the rules changed last year but I think from from April last year now if you want to give money to charity and if if your estate actually donates 10% of the value of the estate 
to charity, then that will actually cut the amount you, of IHT you have to pay down to 36%. So it won't increase the amount you can pass on to your children. It's something that's worth thinking about if you are considering donating money to charity anyway. Okay, and if you are passing money on to children and you do have a, a large estate, then then really I guess we're into the realms of um, of things like trusts. Can you can you tell us a bit more about how trusts work? Well, trusts is an interesting area. The government really clamped down on them in two thousand and seven. They just got fed up of people just you know squirrelling everything away and avoiding paying any IHT. But there are still trusts that you can use to uh, gift money, assets, paintings, property. Um, so you can set up things like either a discretionary trust, which is governed by the trustees or there's um, a fixed trust where you can set up a trust and more than one person can receive income from that and what you've got to bear in mind with trusts is that you can leave up to the value of 325,000 the IHT nil rate band without incurring any IHT but if you put any more into the trust or say if you put property worth more than that then you're going to incur a charge of 20% on anything above that rate and then around 6% every 10 years on anything that's above that IHT rate but there are kind of ways around it it's really worth talking to a solicitor if you are thinking about doing this and setting it up in the right way because also if you set it up then it can be very difficult to change it once you've done that. And finally, there's an exemption for for business and agricultural property um, assets and and business assets. That's probably the most complex um, way of avoiding IHT. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so this is where um, investments in unquoted companies, um, if you hold them for two years, then they become exempt from IHT. But then there are also things like agricultural land. If you are a farmer and uh, you hold it for seven years, it becomes IHT free after that. But there are little caveats that you have to think about exactly how you're using that farmland. And also, um, you know, perhaps if it's no longer being farmed, you can still get some of these reliefs, but you need to look at exactly how you're drawing money um, in income. Thank you very much, Lucy. So reducing your inheritance tax liability can be very simple or it can be quite complicated. If you want to know more about inheritance tax and how to minimise your liability, see Lucy's guide to how to minimise inheritance tax in this weekend's FT Money. Other items this week include Merrin Somerset Webb talking about some really rotten structured products. Fast bowler Steve Finn talks about how he looks after his money. And find out where Jim Rogers, the US investor who was for years George Soros's right-hand man at the Quantum Fund, is putting his money these days. We're always happy to hear your views too. You can add comments at the foot of articles on our website or you can email us directly. The address once again is money at ft.com. Don't forget too that you can read about money online throughout the week at ft.com forward slash money where you'll also find blog posts and useful tools like our pension calculator and the latest annuity rates. But until next week, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Lucy and our special guests, Tom McPhail and Jane Sydenham. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rustoleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustoleum. 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.